Hey everyone, this is Sam Culpepper bringing you the Culpepper Chronicles, where myself and special guests hope to bring you, the listener, more information in regards to self-sufficiency, fieldcraft, survival, marksmanship, gear, and theory with the aids of not only personal experience and opinion, but historical and technical documentation as well. All in the hopes to better prepare you for impending collapse and hard times to come. Now, pull up a seat and let's get down to it. This is Sam coming to you with episode number three of the Culpepper Chronicles. I am uh, joined tonight with a special guest operator. That's O-P-F-O-R, the number eight R. He's also on Instagram. Uh, he's a former Army infantry and now working private sector. We're going to be talking about uh, guerrilla warfare, kind of the, uh, the theory behind it, what it is, uh, different ways in which it's been fought and, and kind of how it pertain to our potential future. Uh, especially as far as tactics and, and things to consider with that. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over to him, let him kind of tell a little bit about himself, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, sort of just a quick little intro. I was in the Army for four years. Two of those were spent in Europe as part of an opposition force unit, hence the name where we kind of got like a pretty cool job. We were the bad guys for a lot of NATO training exercises and stuff like that. Usually the military does that on an ad hoc nature, but they have, I think, three separate dedicated units that do that, non-deployable units, um, set up like mechanized infantry battalions. And long story short, we basically would, we would be whatever the Army needed us to be. Right. You, got, you got to play bad guy. Yeah. You know, sometimes it was insurgent, so we'd be wearing civilian clothes or, you know, they put us in man dresses and put coal hats. We'd run around with AKs in little simulated villages. Or other times it was an actual military and we'd be driving around in M113s and tanks and Humvees and, you know, pretending to be whatever peer army the army deemed us to be. But Very cool. a lot of the job you know, really was, you know, we would spend, even as insurgents, we would spend a lot of time out there. And it was, to some degree, my primer to guerrilla warfare. Um, yeah. I think it's well, as close as we could get as dry-run dry guerrilla warfare uh, against a, a modern military force that you could get, probably, just from the sound oh, of it. Oh, for sure. I mean, when we were insurgents, it wasn't against other, like, insurgent groups. It was against NATO armies that are – pretty much been trained from the ground up ever since the, you know, the fall of the Iron Curtain. The U.S. and the rest of NATO has pretty much trained roughly the same doctrine, roughly the same way. Because, you know, you, you get these organizations and they all cross-train so often that they, they look like each other. Exactly. So, you know, it would be stuff like hit and runs on convoys, burying IEDs, stuff like that. But the part that really struck out to me um, it was more of like an anecdote. We were in a town, we were in the biggest town in the training area at the time. And we, you know, we get orders, even as insurgents, it's not like we're just playing Grand Theft Auto out there and just running around burning stuff down. You know, we yeah, also yeah. mind game. So we would come down on orders. We, you know, we would have to get orders like, Hey, go do this, go do that at this time. And it'd be pretty compartmentalized, but we kind of understood what we were doing. And it was a day where we didn't have much going on, but 
I remember the uh, it was the Georgian Army at the time. They were the occupying like police force in that town. And we had a sort of little like back and forth without fighting or anything where they would bring in supply. They brought in supplies one day and it was just like a box. And um, it wasn't a lot because they have simulated villagers in the town. And so it, it's not a thing you like see, but there's like an implicit like meter where the town can lean either, you know, pro NATO or pro insurgent. And I remember basically us scrambling to like make like our own fake shipments of uh, like humanitarian goods and stuff. And we, we basically like, we couldn't keep up because we would bring in, you know, we would bring in like a truck full and they would bring in like a, a deuce and a half full. So it wasn't really like, you know, we're not hiding that much. So we ended up just doing like this little propaganda campaign in town with like UXO and stuff. It was, it was pretty interesting. It was like the non-fighting side of guerrilla warfare, but that's sort of like, I feel like that's something that a lot of guys online, especially in like the circles that tend to like, talk about each other um don't really bring it up that often oh for sure and that's one of the things i was hoping we would talk about it's kind of like a psyop side of it where like you're a you're a the much smaller force but you are also the home force and it's very important for you to keep the public behind you because you may need to lean on them for medical aid or or anything like that Oh, for sure. And I mean, the other thing too, is it's not just so much you need to lean on them for help is you need to, you need to be on good enough terms that they don't just rat you out outright. Yeah, exactly. You might occupy a town and yeah. you know, the, the townspeople are there every day. The army might not be. And then um, they might, you know, if you're, if you act like trash, if you're very brutal or if you start like leaving like explosives and stuff around, granted, there's nothing saying you can't blame it on the other side, but Right. You know, after a while, it's going to be pretty obvious. Yeah, those you know lies only go so far in that sort of warfare. So, yeah. usually, much better to just be decent. At least in my experience, is try and be as decent as you can. Try and minimize collateral damage. That Very sort of cool. people tend to like you. Yeah, I, I did, it, this is why when when I was kind of picking topics and I, I'd put that on my story about hey, what are some topics you wanted? Someone had mentioned this. I was like. I really wanted to have you to talk about it because I knew you had some background in it, but you and I have had back and forth, you know, in private on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and, and I knew that you were going to have this aspect of it because I agree. A lot of people don't talk about it. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, the, the shield banging and clanging. Oh, I'm ready to fight. And, and I don't think a lot of them understand exactly what that is and what all that's going to pertain uh, and they definitely don't talk about that aspect of it, like what you were just talking about. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, what tactics you need to use? Well, I mean, you're not always going to be fighting because if you're always fighting, and you're, then you're always fighting on their terms, and then you're going to deplete what supplies and, and people you have. Uh, there's so much more to it because if you are putting yourself in the shoes of, of the guerrilla force, uh, you have to live there. You know, the the – if you if you look at it from the aspect of an invading government force and you are the guerrilla force against that, they don't necessarily have to live there. Uh, they don't have to to have the day to day life where they're there. They they can have a base where they come into the town later on, uh, and and in spurts and, and patrols. Whereas you are there all the time, you have to understand that there are civilians there that are non comms that you have to deal with as well. So there's a yeah. whole lot to it. And I think that's why it's so important, like, now, 
I, I mean, if you're worried about something happening in the U.S., like to any of the listeners, I think that's why it's so important now to kind of be that community, like icon, be that guy that's at church, be that guy that's friendly, be that guy that is like doing stuff for the community. Because if you're worried about whatever force, the UN confiscating your guns, you know, what, whatever implicit force you're worried about, if you if they're fighting against the neighbor that's always friendly and every if they're fighting against Ned Flanders, um, people are yeah. probably not side against Ned Flanders as like readily as they will, you know, the invading force. And that's kind of like the big, you know, that's the big game. Another thing too, uh, is like logistics wise, this is kind of like playing the long con. A lot of guys, you know, it's it's very it'd be very easy for me to sit down and talk to you about like oh well you know you should be doing ambushes you should be doing this and that you should be hitting certain targets and you know we can get to that, but I think something that's never mentioned or really not mentioned at all actually because I don't see anyone say it is just like look you should keep a logistical supply of humanitarian goods because as conflict goes on expect supply lines for the people around you that are non combatants to run out expect exactly. stuff. Everyone and then, yeah, if all of a sudden you're the guy that, sh- you know, if everyone's hungry and you're the guy that shows up with, like, fresh rice and beans, you know, you're you're the state right there. You might have. Guess who may accidentally get some information as far as a patrol that's coming this way type of thing. It, even not as, like, a help thing. Like, they might not – you might not get anything in return. You, this might just be an altruistic act. But those people are going to like you a lot more than they're going to like the guys coming in leaving cigarette butts everywhere, leaving dip cans and dip bottles, leaving UXO, you know. And then those guys might not even be from the area. Like, you got to, you know, if you're worried about something happening in the U.S., you know, let's face it, this week has been pretty alarming. Mm-hmm. You really shouldn't expect whatever group, whatever force is sent into your area to be people from that area. Like, they're not dumb either. It's going to be a lot hard, you know. It's going to be a lot harder to convince people to fight their neighbor, but it's going to be a lot, you know, that goes both ways. Yeah. I agree. So, you know, I mean, that's why we had such issues in Afghanistan is you got like, you got the ANA guys fighting, you know, they think they're doing the right thing or they might say they're doing the right thing, but they're fighting their neighbors and their neighbors know that and everyone else in town knows that. So, yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, that's another thing you're talking about, like logistics and supply lines. I don't think a lot of people, understand how long some of the conflicts in in history have went but the potential for them as far as like guerrilla conflicts because everyone focuses on like especially i'm talking specifically you know like u.s side like u.s citizens and, and what we're what we're air quote taught in history uh but like if you look at like the the biggest example that always gets brought up it seems is like the the vietnam conflict uh the U.S. involvement was 20 years, 1955 to 75. Uh, but even before that, the Viet Cong were fighting the French, the Indochina War, from 46 to 54. So yeah. they had they had decades of fighting different invading forces. And I'm not saying you know I'm not saying you know communism communism is great. We need to be sympathetic to that regard. But but you have to or you should look at it subjectively as okay. I am now going to be in the shoes of the Viet Cong and I may have to fight this force for two or three decades. Well, logistics are, that's not that great. (laughs) I mean, maybe you get lucky and there's another government force that wants to back you. Uh, I doubt that given, given the U S stature anyways, I don't think anyone would really want to back us anymore. Uh, 
but but you have to be mindful of how long these things could take. I mean, even you know the the more recent example of that would be that like you just talked about the Afghanistan war. Uh, U.S. involvement would, if we're calling if we're calling what just happened us ending the U.S. involvement, I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily think. I figure that there'll be some reason that they decide to to dip their toes back in it. Uh, but you know, it was 2001 to 21. So that's another, you know, two decades. But then again, the Afghanistan people were fighting, uh, the Soviets from 79 to 89 prior to that. Uh, granted they had us backing for any of those who don't know that they had us backing in that regard because it was during the cold war and we hated the reds, uh, more than anyone else. And we just created future enemies, but these are decade long wars that, you and your neighbor are fighting. It's not you are a member of an organized military. It is you and your neighbor are taking to the woods and mountains fightings for two to three decades. So that's just something that people need to to think about and understand that logistics are going to play a huge part on it because you have to be able to survive on more than bullets. You, you have to have food. You have to have medical. You have to take care of your people. At that point, you have to have, you know, a population to depend on. You're, you're not going to be, you know, even if you're out there for 30 years by your lonesome, you know, you're pretty much working every day to keep yourself alive. Exactly. You're not really working like and, fight a war. Right. And that can go back to like you were talking about, you know, keeping public favor. I mean, if, if you are having to work in town by day and fight by night, you may have to rely on underground sources. And the only way that underground is going to remain happening because Let's face it, it's not going to be a secret for forever. Someone's going to find out about it and, oh, you know, my neighbor Jane saw me loading supplies in the truck type thing. Well, if neighbor Jane hates you because you and your friends are out, you know, blowing up mailboxes trying to fight the opposing force, then guess who's going to rap to the opposing force about who you are and and what you're involved in? Yeah. No, and and that's a good point. I think that kind of brings me to a point that I – I've read about in like military doctrine and stuff like that. And that's the, I'm glad you brought up Vietnam, like because it, it's, it really outlines that difference in thinking versus like the Eastern side of the world versus the Western side of the world. You know, in the U S we're all about quick results. We're all about, you know, we toppled Saddam in 2003 in less than a month, but in the Viet Cong won by extending a war decades. Yep. And, you know, for better or worse, they won, they ended up occupying the Vietnamese government after we left. Yep. So it was a war of attrition and we finally yeah, just had enough and backed out. That's kind of how, how you have to see guerrilla warfare is you're, you're trying to, to a degree you're, you can't out, you can't out resource the other side. Like you're no. the invading force. You're not really going to out resource them unless you're already a standing army with logistics supplies and like a source, ideally a country funding you, but you can, you know, you can just draw things out. Yeah, it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts type of thing. Yeah, and, um, you know, the, the Eastern line of thinking is patience. I mean, you'll see it in any sort of, like, Far East, even Near East, like, warfare. You'll see, you know, the war in Afghanistan was 20 years. Why? Because the Taliban didn't just all get up in one line and decide to, like, charge a U.S. fob. Like, they, you know, it was very – it was generational. It was a generational war. Yep. And then they would be smart. They would hire people to – conduct an attack with, you know, through cutouts and stuff like that. They would, you know, just set aside remote detonating mortars. It was just, it, it was just all about like, how do I minimize the burden on myself to, to like maximize 
effect on target or, you know, get what I want. And that's yeah. something very important. I mean, in the guise of guerrilla warfare, like, yeah. And it doesn't even have to be like, and that's what something that, that people may need to understand is like, if we're talking like two decades worth, it's not everyday fighting. Like you will have, you will have spurts where you have long times where you have multiple, multiple engagements and, and days worth of fighting. But you have to, I think Afghanistan is a good example. It's like they have what, you know, people would commonly refer to as the fighting season. So like in the winter, everybody would hole up because nobody wants to fight in the freaking winter. Um, and that's when you would hear about all the, the ISIS training camps and, and, and Taliban training camps. And then it'd start warming up and now we're fighting again. Well, if you think about that, if you're, if you're only fighting six-ish months out of the year, and you're using the other six months to recuperate and train and get better equipped to go back and fight again in six months, that is definitely dragging it on. And if you are someone, if you can put yourself in the shoes of the invading force, uh, like what we were just dealing with with Afghanistan, that gets old. It gets old being there away from home, away from your loved ones, uh, fighting and never knowing when you're going to fight and how long you're going to fight. And then, okay, we'll have two weeks where nothing happens. And then we'll have a month of just constant barrages. And then we'll have two weeks of nothing that happens. Uh, and you, you, it's a war of morale, not only about mortality. Yeah. And I mean, you, you know, even, even with fighting, you know, like I said, it's not always fighting like sabotage was a tremendous thing. You look at the, the 20th century context of a lot of like guerrilla warfare. You look at the French underground uh, during world war two, they're blowing up rail railway lines. So that the, you know, the Germans couldn't bring in. Exactly. They, they're making life harder without necessarily having yeah. to lose people. And that's ultimately, you know, the, that's ultimately what guerrilla warfare boils down to is a war of attrition. You're trying to make it so that the, uh, you're trying to make it politically or physically as difficult as possible for that invading force to kind of like not be able to operate or not want to operate. So you know, it's, it's not always like, it's not always like, Oh, we're going to go hit a supply convoy. Although that does happen. And you know, to a degree you're going to need that. It might be something as simple as like you, you start, I'm not going to say like targeting infrastructure, but you might like, you might have a guy on the inside during the rail line on, you know, working the rail lines in that country and, he might just like mess up the times and mess up schedules, cause delays, you know? Yeah. Oh, I forgot my lunch. I'll be right back. And that offsets at 20 minutes. And that's just enough to send the entire supply line catatonic for three days. Yeah. Simple things like that, that a lot of people don't figure in. A lot of it is just the, the mindset that a lot of people think about when they think of guerrilla warfare. Even if you look up the definition of guerrilla warfare, it doesn't necessarily talk about any of this. It focuses on the warfare aspect of it. The, the, the Britannica definition is type of warfare fought by irregulars and fast moving small scale action against orthodox military and police forces. Well, that sounds very romantic if you put it in words, but it doesn't talk about all the other aspects of it that we've seen with other resistance and underground fighters, because that's exactly what it is, is guerrilla warfare in that time frame, And that's why I'm glad you brought up like the French resistance. That was one of the things that they were fighting in their home on their home turf against the germans they knew that they did not have the manpower and the people especially starting out but something as simple as you know sabotaging railways or or bridges or or not having necessarily supplies talking to talking to villages and saying hey put up a bunch of your supplies so when the germans come through they don't think you have enough to give them and they quit coming this way but then we can keep the supplies for ourselves or you can help us with supplies in that regard yeah, and uh, the magic so much more to it. The magic of 
that type of warfare too. It's, you know, to stick on the not to beat the railroad example to death, but you know, if you can make it look like it's just an accident and not an actual intentional act of sabotage, even better for you. You know, oh, exactly. Let's say you get into a fender bender on a railroad, or you get a flat tire, knowing that it's going to happen when that train's coming through. You know, your car is blocking the rails. The train's not going to stop. And even if it stops, you've already wasted time. You've wasted logistics. You know, if, if there's a front opened up in another side of the country, that front is that much longer without supplies. Yep. So you're just, you know, you're just oh, there. Well. You're like, oh, sorry, man. I got a flat tire. Can you help me change it? And you're yeah, wasting. What a happy coincidence, you know. Yeah. So it's not always like, it, it's not always a game of, you know, Oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna shoot at these guys. Sometimes it's something stupid. It's just something silly. Yeah. But I mean, that's yeah. That's, and, and the more nonchalant it is, the more absolutely just obscure. Okay, there's this seems like a very normal thing that could possibly happen. It's just kind of dumb bad luck that it happened to us. Oh, we need to delay the train for thirty minutes while we move this car out of the way. That's even better because that's only aiding the the lack of detection because because don't fool yourself into thinking that the opposing force isn't looking for this i mean they're absolutely going to be looking for stuff like this to start showing up if they're coming in uh if they're not then they're they're stupid and good and good for you if you're the guerrilla force if they're not looking for it but i i guarantee you they are they're going to start tracking okay if every week we have an issue at this railhead uh chances are this is no longer by accident we need to start looking at this even more so if yeah. you can keep it under the radar for as long as possible, man, that's just going to be great for you and your group. Well, the other thing too is remember that occupying force, they're their odds are they're running they're running the show. If the trains are always delayed, if the food shipments aren't coming in, people notice that, man. And that's oh, yeah. kind of how you get recruitment too. Like, hey, look, the trains aren't coming in, we can't get supplies to the factories. I've been out of work, I can't feed my family. Oh, well, you know whose fault it is, right? It's, uh, you know, it's the invading army because they keep delaying the trains because they keep using it to plunder the countryside, you know, mm-hmm. typical propaganda. But now guess what? Now you put that seed in someone's head like, oh, wow, maybe he's right. Maybe it is the invading army's fault. Maybe we should, uh, you know, maybe I should do something about it. And it might not be, you know, you might not be getting like top of the line fighters, but you might get a guy that's a doctor. Yeah, you, you may get doctor. resources in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you know, and that's that's kind of the the core. I, I if I had to say the core of guerrilla warfare, through everything I've read, and some of the little the little exposition I've had of, of it in a controlled environment, I'd say it's ingenuity. Like that should be your goal. You need to be cutting. You need to be like a fox. Like, oh yeah, if you, if you don't have a brain on you, it doesn't matter how fast your trigger finger is. It, it's not going to matter. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, here's an example from my own life. I remember we were on an exercise, different town, same army we were against, different time period, but I remember they had a police station present in town, and they weren't particularly liked by the townspeople um, because they were kind of like just Eastern European, sort of like rough, like just gruff people. But so one day they left the police station because something happened somewhere else, somewhere in the region, and they had to mobilize and leave. Well, we went into the police station and we trashed it. We didn't shoot a bullet. We didn't take any guns or anything. We trashed it. We TP'd it. You know, we we tied the computers up from the ceiling fan and let it dangle, like lock stuff in the jail cell they had there. Like we basically ruined it. And like you know, it's not it's not at all what I would call like warfare or guerrilla warfare, but to a degree, it sort of is. You're, you're demoralizing it. If you came back from a 12-hour mission 
an overnight mission, for example, you're tired, you're sleepy, you're cold, you're hungry, and you get back and you come back to that, to like just a trash like headquarters, everything's like all messed up, food's gone, all the water's been tipped over on the ground. Your day's a lot worse. Yep. And, you know, uh, uh, there's second and third order effects of that. Every time you come in, you might start doubting if you're even doing – one, if you're having an effect in that town, or two, if, if anyone even likes you. And if no one likes you, you know, like even if you have that impression that no one likes you, you know, a couple things may happen. Some of them good, some of them bad. You know, bad if you live there, your neighbors might get roughed up more. But, you know, I, I hate to say it, that might even be good for you because guess what? Your neighbors get roughed up more. They see the bad guys for who they are, and they're yeah. like, these guys are bad. I'm not saying that's the goal, but I am no. saying you know, the erosion of morale has those second and third order effects. And that's like a – I'd say that's like a decent example of like we're like that like we didn't do anything crazy, but we're letting them know they're not welcome or like we're otherwise inconveniencing their lives. And, you know, maybe maybe they don't do that. Maybe they don't become draconian. That's fine. But guess what? They're going to spend the next hour, hour and a half cleaning that up. And that's an hour, hour and a half that they're not getting sleep. So that the next time they go on patrol, you know, they might miss that tripwire or they might yeah. not notice you went from a, you know, stuff like that. So like it, it's stuff to think about and things like that. You don't even have to send, you know, you don't have to send fighters to do it. That's the, that's another thing I wanted to touch on is it's a, you know, it's the, I hate to say like, it's a whole family at war. You don't have to be a fighter to do something like that. Exactly. You know? So that's kind of like another point that I think people don't see bring up too much is uh, in terms of guerrilla warfare is like there's a bunch of other little things you can do that's like a quiet protest or otherwise has effects. And you, you'll, you know, you'll mess up. Even something is like invading army comes up to your kid, asks where did they go? Kid points to the wrong way, you know, like that, you know, messes them up. Yep. You just got to be careful with it because depending on who the invading army is and how cruel they are, you know, they could they could go back into the population and seek retribution. So that's kind of a fine line. You got to know who you're playing against. Yeah, you got to know if it's risk versus reward type of thing where it, it, is it worth it to potentially endanger the populace? And at the same time, if this has been years down the line and you have now swayed that meter more in your favor than in the invading force, the populace may be more than willing to help you. It, but you have to realize not everyone's a fighter. So if Uncle John, the vet tech or whatever, is wanting to fight, but he's, you know, got diabetes and everything else, and he's obviously not going to make it out in the field, but he can uh, maybe accidentally prescribe the wrong medication to somebody or give the wrong medication to somebody if they're having to uh, rely on them medically uh, of the of the invading force. Or, you know, he may be able to come out and help you or uh, – Jane down the street and her friends that are teenage and rebellious and everything else, maybe they can go trash the police station while y'all don't necessarily have to be seen because the, the police station is empty at the time. You don't necessarily have to risk yourself, but the population is then being involved and feeling like they are a part of it uh, and maybe being emboldened to help you more. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, like I, even, even to the guys that want to fight, I'll, I'll say this, and this is this is no in no way, shape, or form should this be misconstrued as me excusing like lack of fitness at all, like uh, uh, the opposite. Exactly. But like, hey, man, I'm I'm gonna be real with you. There's a lot of guys that like guns that are just not gonna hack it in the field, or they're not gonna like, you know, they they 
like because they're fat or they have any sort of condition or they just don't want to. But hey, man, everyone needs a driver. Everyone needs a guard. Like exactly. Like you exactly. don't. They don't have to be out there like going on a twelve mile ruck behind enemy lines to go like take photos for them to be useful. They, they you know they could just be in the rear, just concealed, concealed weapons, just kind of watching. And if you know, or like if you've got a a a hidden base of sorts like in the woods uh assuming that you don't you're not fighting someone who has technology that can you know be overhead seeing that uh if you're a fighter with a family your family has to be somewhere if it's not safe for them to be in the general populace and you've got this base camp you need people to be there to guard the base camp while you're out performing activities so those people who couldn't necessarily hack in the field may be just fine back at a base camp and able to provide security for your family uh, they just couldn't hack a 12 mile hike to go take pictures. So every, everyone can play a role if they want to. You just got to figure out that role and what's necessary. Yeah. And I think, I think the big tech, technology uh, jumps we've made, you know, like let's say you, you are worried about something popping off in North America, the big technology leaps like that exist today are pretty, you know, pretty incredible. I mean, like look at like miniaturized drones, for example, Over sure. that, you know, you fly, you know, you don't have to be in shape to launch a drone from your car or from like the woods, fly it up. Oh, Hey, look, they have a convoy. You're recording all of it. You get it back. You set, you know, you get, you kind of analyze it. You have your Intel nerds or whatever, analyze it. And guess what? Oh, Hey, they're bringing in, um, they're bringing in a lot of comms equipment. They might be trying to set up a retrans station somewhere in the mountains. It wouldn't be that difficult to, you know, see if that convoy, see if that convoy ever comes back to bring in more supplies and we can figure out where that retrans station is and, you know, take it for ourselves. It's that sort of thing. Like a, a drone is simple, a cell phone, simple. Exactly. And, um, intelligence okay. has a huge role in it and you don't have to be the most physically fit by video camera on your phone to, to, to get Intel to people. who can't. For sure. Um, of course, you know, I love tech. Everyone loves tech. I'm a big proponent of it, especially drones. But, you know, it is a, it is also a double-edged sword. So you got to be smart when you're using it. You know, like just because you have an encrypted radio doesn't mean you should say your entire plan, like enunciate right. it to the world. You know, stuff like right. brevity codes and stuff like that should be should be followed. Um, yeah. You know, code words. You got to kind of treat it more like a numbers station during the Cold War than you would like as a soldier. In a training exercise. Yeah, and then kind of back to the drones thing. I know people, and uh, I probably shouldn't know people, but I know people who uh, are very big in uh, mechanical engineering and stuff. They have taken drones and designed them to drop objects. Um, so if that's the case, you know, you may be able to, on a much smaller scale than, you know, what we see with, like, you know, UAV-type drone strikes, you may be able to perform something on a much smaller scale on maybe a, a mobile convoy and never even have to necessarily endanger yourself uh, as far as direct action sorts. So there's always aspects with technology. If you can figure out how to exploit it to your benefit and it's not going to hopefully be backtracked to you, uh, then man, that should definitely be something you do because one thing about technology that we've gotten so far is stuff like, you know, UAVs and drones or, or RC cars or anything like that, where you're able to, possibly have a direct effect without having to put yourself or others in danger directly 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, that, 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 that circles again on the, you might not be fit enough to be a combatant, but you can still do things. You know, uh, one thing we saw in Afghanistan that was pretty huge um, was spotters, the use of spotters. You would just have mm-hmm. a guy armed, no weapons or anything, or, you know, he could, have, he could have whatever he wants. He's worried he's going to get captured. But all the dude needs is a cell phone, just a burner phone. And, you know, oh, hey, I see, I see the invading army is uh, rolling through what we deem to be Checkpoint Alpha. All he's got to do is send a text message. He's going to pull up a phone. All he has to do is send a text message. Yep. Just some, uh, you know, whatever, whatever code system you've got going and send it. Yeah. You know, something stupid, simple. But guess what? You figure it out. So that's kind of, you know, like I said, circling back around to guerrilla warfare is all about ingenuity. Like that should, like, the, you know, it's stuff like that that'll help you out. Or crowdsourcing intel, you know. You could, you know, the, we've seen with Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and any conflict around the world, you have a ton of pages online through Twitter or, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and they'll report on stuff. And sometimes they'll report on movements. And if they're friendly to your cause, they might report on the other side's movements way more than they'll report on yours. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you you can kind of like, I'm not gonna say crowdsource intel, but you kind of sort of can. I mean, you look at some of these pages, and they're getting their intel from dudes on the ground. They're getting you know shaky camera feeds from people on the ground. But guess what? You've now announced what's going on, and it might not be information that's pertinent to like your guerrilla force, for example. But some someone on the other side of the country might see that and be like, okay, cool. They're like this is an offensive. Like they're they're starting an offensive here, so this might be our chance to you know, actions on target or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, or, or even look at it and say, okay, th- this group that could potentially be something that we have to face in the future is now fighting this other group over here. Uh, let's see what we can find footage-wise because everybody's got a camera these days. Everyone's recording stuff and see what they're doing. Like, what kind of tactics are they doing? What type of stuff are they fielding? That's like there's the Instagram page, and I won't, I won't dox it or anything. Uh, but he, and if you're in the know, you, you see it plenty. Uh, he has a lot of information on uh, the Korean uh, army and the North Korean army and, and the equipment that they're using and the weapons they're using and some of the tactics and, and, and TTPs and stuff that they're doing. That is a potential force that we could face in the future. Uh, yeah. Why not use the time now to study that? And you don't have to be like a master in studies over it, but you could have a general working knowledge so that if the time came, you could say, okay, I know these people, nothing's really changed. I have a general idea of it. I know what they're most likely going to do as far as raid tactics. I know what weapons they have. I know the you know, maximum effective range of them. I know some of the armor capabilities that they have. Uh, use all the information we have now to your benefit because you may not have that in the future. I mean, for all we know, EMPs come through and it's all done. You know, no, no, more, no more electronic communication and technology. You want to keep that stored in the one place you can't lose it, your brain. Exactly. No, for sure. And, I mean, you know, that should that should also govern training, too. Um, and just as much, guerrilla warfare is a game of subterfuge. I mean, I've, I've posted about it recently. It's something I'm trying to work on a little bit. But I've, I've yeah, been I've, studying. I've really been locking that content. That's what I wanted to do with the underground stuff that I was doing, and I just kind of ran out of steam on it. Uh, but I've been really liking the stuff that you've been doing because that was very much in line with the, the underground resistance type stuff I was wanting to put out. Yeah. It's, um, you know, like, like you're, you're not always going to be in full kit 
carrying a fucking AR going through the bush on a recce. You know, you might – it might be something as stupid as you're set you're, – you're sitting a block away at a cafe from a – from the uh, an opposition leader's like speech or rally or whatever, and you've got like a telephoto camera under a newspaper or magazine or out of your book pack, out of your backpack, and you're just kind of like recording it. You're kind of getting intel from far away. This is just a camera. Mm-hmm. You might be moving through places, and guess what? You don't have your AR with you. If you get accosted by you know some unsavory guards or people, even you know criminals, you need a way to defend yourself. And that's why I keep stressing like. Even just because you fancy yourself a partisan or whatever, don't neglect concealment work because you're going to be in areas where you're going to need concealment work. Absolutely. And you need to understand how to blend it with the locals. Uh, yeah. You know, around where I live, that is pretty easy for me because my general attire, if you look at any of my videos, I got like the same three shirts and pants. Uh, yeah. But like that blends in with the area. It's all rice farmers and, and crop farmers and uh, ranchers and things like that around here. But if I were in the Northeast, uh, I'm going to stick out. So you need to be able to blend in with the locals. For sure. For sure. And I mean, you know, it's blending in, not just in appearance, but mannerisms too. Yep. Someone from the South is not going to sound the same as someone from the Midwest is not going to sound the same as someone from Boston. Yeah, They're all going to simple as, as your diet too. If, if, if no one, if, if, if you're in an area that's, you know, the majority of it's like vegan or whatever, or you're in like Silicon Valley doing, you know, reconnaissance work, taking pictures and you start ordering double bacon cheeseburgers and stuff. Uh, guess who's going to remember that there was this random dude who had a Southern accent ordering double bacon cheeseburgers versus the dude who maybe he had a Southern accent, but it kind of sounded a little washed out and he ordered, you know, the soy salad. milkshake. <laughs> yeah, salad, something very neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't you don't also want a peacock just because you you know you're where you're from and you're not worried. You're trying to be like a big dick energy, whatever. Um, you know, don't order the tomahawk steak. Uh, exactly. Something a little more local or something yeah. that you see people eating, and that's part of intel gathering too. Is you're you're not just trying to establish patterns of life or whatever your quarry is if you're hunt, you know, if you're doing that sort of work, but you're also kind of trying to figure out how you're going to blend in easier. You know, if everyone. If, if everyone is wearing pea coats, you know, you probably should get a pea coat. Yep. So, you know, it's a lot. Like I said, a lot of the concealment, a lot of the non-obvious stuff is stuff that you need to also know. Like, it's, it's real cool knowing how to, set, you know, how to, like, fight from a trench or assault a trench. And that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's hard to learn. It's it's worth the effort. It's it will You'll never regret learning that if some shit pops up. But at the same time, don't don't be the guy that can't hit a target at seven yards with a handgun. Yeah, you have to you have to be well rounded. You don't have to be a master in everything, but you need to have a, a competent working knowledge in just about all. Yeah, you and it, you know it's it's real easy to say like oh yeah just be good at everything, and like it sucks. No one wants to hear that. Like you want to just be like okay I can focus on these three things and I'm 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 golden. But it's like yeah. man. You really don't know where life is going to take you. You really don't know what you're going to be doing if something does pop up. You really don't know if anything's going to happen at all. So you're kind of like playing that game of like, oh, well, yeah, I got to prepare for everything because if I don't prepare for everything, you know, it, it sucks, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. At least even a little knowledge. If anything, know where you can get the knowledge for that if you needed it. So you can, you know, you might be able to give yourself a crash course if need be. 
or a refresher if you if you had the prudence to practice it beforehand. But at least you yeah. always have. Everyone like, wants oh. to be specialized. It seems everyone's like, oh, I want to be the 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 breacher of the group or I want to be the, you know, overwatch sniper of the group and like stuff like that just drives me insane. It's like, okay, but do you have the general working knowledge to do all of it? Uh, no. Well then maybe you should, maybe not everyone needs to be specialized. I'm sure you need to have someone maybe that has a little bit more working knowledge that can teach everyone else, but there's no sense in having specialized roles because specialized roles, in my opinion, are like, is best suited for conventional warfare. And that's just not what we're going to be like your chances are, unless you can do a, a supply raid or a battlefield pickup or something, you're not going to have a, you know, a machine gunner an assistant machine gunner and a, a yeah. grenadier. And then you're not going to have, you know, recon snipers or anything like that. Like that's just kind of not where you're going to be. Yeah. At least not at first, you know, maybe exactly. down the line, down, down, down the line. But I mean, I will say the only good thing about specialization, at least now, like prior to a conflict, is when it happens, you can cross-train everyone. Like, you're that's the guy. Yeah. So that that, that the only, like, like, if you're specialized, make it something really esoteric. Like, like be good at everything else. Like, be, you know, a foot soldier or whatever. Be a regular guy. But, like, have, you know, have some knowledge of some stuff that, like, you know, might not be as, like, common in the world. Yeah, it could be something as simple as gardening, or it could be something like I know how to mess with radios. I know how all the, you know, I know how signals work. I'm a, I'm a, a wizard at it, and that's something that I don't know. Like that. Same here. Same here. Comms are my biggest downfall, and I, I hope to have uh, Pine on here because Pine seems pretty knowledgeable on it. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna have him on here for comms and stuff. But yeah, you bring up another good point, it's like gardening. Like, you don't have to be the world's greatest fighter if you can be an okay fighter but teach everyone how to grow food because guess what you probably need more of long term you need, you need food you need sustenance so that's that's a really good point that i don't think anyone ever talks about either yeah but i mean to me the, the hardest thing to figure out like beyond even all of that is strategy like you got to kind of like you 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 always hope that there's someone that kind of under can understand the big picture to kind of lead that's not yeah. like that's not something anyone wants to hear. Like, oh well, this guy's gonna be on top of me. Like, I, you know, I'm a free spirit. Or like, you know, why does he get to be in charge? You know, because it causes all sorts of problems. But you do want someone that has the big picture in mind. You ultimately are trying to achieve goals as a guerrilla fighting force. Like, you're not you're not just trying to sit around and like, yeah, we're we're getting into skirmishes every day. Yeah, but it's it's not achieving anything. Yeah, you you pissed off the opposing army's like infantry, but like you, you're not really get, getting any games. You're not doing something that forces them out. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you, you always do want someone that's got like that strategic big picture. Like, Hey, look, we're hitting all of these supply lines so that we can get in and we can get rid of, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have to spread themselves way thinner. And, you know, you either like compartmentalize the war or you, you just strike out against people that they can't replace. Yeah, you know, and, and that goes to, I mean, if you have to have somebody like that who can relay to the people who are fighting why they are fighting, uh, if you don't have someone who can see the big picture and keep people focused and motivated into doing it, then you're just going to fall apart anyways. It's going to be all for nothing. So you have to have those brains at work as well. For sure. I mean, you need guys on the ground that know the big picture. We had a thing in the army 
it was no, it was a thing that we were always got told. Rarely was it practice, but we really should have. Um, it's know the know the job of the two guys above you. Like so, like if you were a regular line soldier, you would know your team leader and your squad leader's job and their intent. And you know, granted that that comes from, oh, these dudes are you know what if happens if like my team leader and squad leader both die? Well, someone's got to step up, and if I understand the jobs, I can I can lead. But it's also like you kind of want to understand what you're doing, um, especially as a guerrilla force. You want to understand the why of what you're doing it because like it, it's very easy to like fall into like just wanton violence versus like well we're doing this because we're trying to achieve this goal and it achieves this goal in this way. And that's something to always kind of bear in mind is like, look, dude, like you, it's, it's cool that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're baby, you're the baby Taliban, you're fucking brutal, you're savage, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do, but you're not achieving anything. Like you're not, you're just kind of being an inconvenience and really you, you got to kind of like work to, towards a goal. And so that's where that strategic mindedness has to come in. Like a lot of guys, like guys should be studying. If I have advice to people, one of the things would be like you should be studying some sort of strategy. You got to understand like what what makes what what ticks around you and what's important. Like you know, I got into watches recently, and you you look at a watch, it's got all these little gears working together, intermeshed to you know tell the time, and they they lose sync after a little while, you know, or, or a long time depending on what watch you got. But you you understand that every one of these gears needs the other. You just got to figure out what the gears are. Yeah, what part do they play, and uh, and what is easy to replace, and what is not easy to replace? Exactly. Well, I mean, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go ahead and say like, oh, do, do this or that, but I mean, just just think about. Yeah, exactly. It it it's just so. Think about the thing until you're in the situation. Yeah, you need to have a general idea. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like now, if you're worried about, let's say, you live in Mexico and you're worried about the cartel coming into your town. Think about what the cartel would need to like to fight or think about what would turn the population of your little village against the cartel. Like just just start thinking about those now while you have time, map them out, study them. You know, you don't have to mark anything out on paper, but just keep it in mind and then have that line in the sand so that if, you know, the cartel rolls through your town and pickup trucks and with 50 cal Barrett's, you kind of already know like, okay, they're rolling in. I'm going to act upon, you know, I have these actions within the first like hour or the first day of them rolling in. And that's going to kind of like at least cripple them a little bit and turn things away from their favor. You know, you got to have that strategy well in advance. And, you know, if you're worried about what's happening in North America, like that might be something you want to talk to people about is like, okay, look, if if this, if the the absolute line in the sand gets crossed and we're witnessing it in real time, like what are we going to do? Like it's not it's not something fun to talk about. It's not something pretty to talk about. And it's you know, depending on where you're at, you're conspiring to pretty much ruin your life and not go back. But if you are gonna go down that path, you know, against the cartel or whoever, just just think about that. Give it some real credence. Like this is my initial thing. You know, for some people, it might just be like I'm gonna bug out. Like I'm going to the woods. I'm going to the mountains. I have a cabin up there, and that's it. I'm done. I got supplies up there, and you know, but you still gotta have a plan on some sort of set schedule or timeline for that. You, you don't want to, you don't want to just be like, ah, well, I can wait. No, it's like, okay, if they do this event, we're on a timeline, you know, we have a couple, you know, we within six hours, I want to be on the road. 
type deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's easy to sit there and say, well, I'm just going to bug out. Okay. But like, how are you going to do it? Do you have a plan? Does everyone involved have a plan? If you've got a family, does everyone know what role they're going to, they're, they're going to play? Do you have time hacks? Like, okay, by in 30 minutes, we need to be doing this and an hour when you're doing this and two hours, we need to be there. You know, there's, there's a lot more that you need to strategically plan out ahead of time. Yeah. And another thing too, this is, you know, if you have time, if you, if you think you have a lot of time, I'm, do dry runs of that. I'm not saying like go and like run around in gear, get bugging out to your location. But like, if you have those, if you have that strategy lined out, do, do yeah. dry, like figure out how long it takes you to drive there in your car. Figure out how long it takes you to load all the stuff in your car because yeah. no one drives around with all of their crap in their car. Like, how long is it yeah. going to take you to pack all your crap up and put it in your car? Well, if you yeah. envisioned it taking 15 minutes, but it actually takes 35, well, that's a big difference. That is. And that could be the difference between, like, you know, like you making it out and being well on the road by the time they get to your house, or you, you know, loading up the last Tupperware, closing your trunk, and you turn around and there's, there's pickup trucks with machine guns pointed at you because you took too long. Yep. If that's the thing. You might not have a long time. And you need to understand some of the threats you're dealing with are very mobile. They're extremely yeah. mobile. They have hella, you know, they things move quick. Yeah, things move quick, so you need to move quick. You know, understand how long does it take for you to get from your job back home. Or, you know, if you're on your own and you have your pre-designated bug out location, don't always do your dry runs from your house to yeah, your do it from your work, do it from the mall, do it from wherever. So that's always, you know, that's a, that's a big thing to consider. And I mean, you know, if you're, if you're planning more, uh, what's the word kinetic things like, you know, you, you do want to figure those things out. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, and I think, cool. I think kinetic is more of what people think of. So let's, uh, I, I love the content. I want to have you on again to talk more about it. Uh, because this is the side of it. I geek out on as far as your yeah. warfare aspect of it goes, like, like, the tactical manuals and stuff are great. I love them too. But this is the stuff, the thinking games, uh, like it, it's it's chess. It's not checkers type of thing is what I love. Uh, but there's a lot of listeners that may have got onto this this podcast episode uh, and maybe have struggled us along this far in our ramblings. Uh, so they are here for more of the, uh, the kinetic aspect or uh, the gear aspect. So is there anything specifically that you can suggest gear-wise that people should be looking at? Uh, let's say that are similar to our own thought processes uh, as far as field, not so much urban. Um, a drone. Uh, if I have to say one thing that is, and I've said it on my own page and I'll say it again. If you drones are so cheap and if you can get a live feed onto like a burner phone or your private cell phone or a little handset or whatever, a tablet, you're going to want a drone, especially if you're out in the woods, you have to understand that you will never have, that is the closest thing you're going to have to like early warning, like that actually gives you time to prepare. Yeah, you, feed. you know, let's say you're, let's say you're in your little, um, your little patrol base in the, in the woods and you're fighting against, you know, a, 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 an organized military that's like state of the art. They have like drones, they have thermals, they have all this stuff. They drive convoys, you know, you throw that, you throw out a, a, a little reconnaissance patrol just around your area, a little cloverleaf, they get kind of, you know, far enough away that if the drone comes down, it doesn't like highlight where the patrol base is at, but close enough that you can get back pretty quickly. You know, you throw up that drone, 
you keep it up there for its flight time away from where you're posted. You know, you fly it away maybe like a kilometer if it has the range, if not, you know, half that. And you just kind of keep it up there and you watch around, keep it high up. You might see movements. You might see things that demonstrate, oh, hey, there's a there's a regular army patrol coming through this area. Like, they're, they might not be coming close to our camp, but this might lead to, like, oh, hey, like, we can catch them with their pants down. They're in bad terrain. We know that terrain. We can hit them, and we can win. And that's ultimately that, – that's, that's the intel part of, like, planning. If something like a drone is going to give you that intelligence to where you can start making plans so you can be proactive rather than, like, oh, I'm sitting in my patrol base waiting for, you know, struggling through – you know, droopy eyes waiting for someone to come around the corner and run up. <clears throat> if I had to say something else besides, you know, if you want to focus on gear, I'll say night vision just for, you know, the drone and night vision are the two big ones. Uh, actual survival stuff, get like a, get a big water purification system as big as you can like feasibly like carry with the rest of your gear. You know, I like to use the, uh, you know, some people use MSR stuff, Katadin stuff. There's pumps. I wouldn't rely on live straws or Sawyer filters. Yeah, um, I, actually, I actually just picked up uh, one of the uh, Katadin Hawker Pro pumps. Yeah, I think that's what I have too. I forget. It is a pump system, like a ceramic cord pump system, something like that where you can kind of get water for a couple people at a time. Because yeah. the last thing you want after a long patrol like, let's say you're breaking brush, you're going to a new patrol base area. The last thing you want to do is sit there and, like, wait for a tablet to dissolve after 30 minutes or be boiling water and then waiting for it to cool. Like, you know, there's a time and place for that. But at least, like, for the immediate moments, you kind of want something reliable that you can kind of get your guys hydrated. Yeah. And as far as, like, the, the different purification stuff, like, just since that's what you brought up, for what, for what people don't know, like, they're – there are kind of tiers to that. So at its very base level, you can, you can filter and purify water with a scarf and boiling water and some iodine tablets. Uh, but uh, like the live straws are the little personal, they, they, they're like the size of a pen that you drink directly from the source and it filters as you drink it. Um, the Sawyer, Sawyer obviously has a bunch of different types, but the most common one that I see is the squeeze filters uh, I have one of those. So like the life straw would be like, in in my opinion, in like your escape and evasion type stuff, you would keep it yeah. in your, 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 okay, I've got to dump all my gear. I only have enough room for my pockets. I've got a life straw. That's better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, the Sawyer stuff, like this, the squeeze pump, I keep that in uh, my butt pack or my salt pack uh, because it's not super great, but it would give me the ability to, uh, to, to get water because the way those works is they come with like a little uh, plastic uh, hydro bladder. It's like a plastic water bottle that's flat. You would dip that into your water source, fill it up, screw it on there and squeeze it. It squeezes through the filter into your, your clean catch. Uh, and that is okay, but it's hard to get water in those bladders sometimes. And it takes a little bit of time because you're having to squeeze it through there. Um, you're, you'll get water out, but not at the same rate as something like a pump. Uh, in my mind, the, the, the hiker pro like that I just got, or, or something similar like the MSR, uh, guardians, uh, those are like in a ruck. That's something that if you have time to take it out of your ruck, because, Hey, we're taking a water break. We're here by a stream, toss the end in there and start pumping everybody's, you know, designate one dude. Cause not everybody in your group, like if you've got six dudes, not everybody has to have a pump. Uh, 
but like designate one one dude to go down there or two dudes to go down there to the water source while everybody else pulls security and and pump up everybody's empty Nalgene's with filtered water that you can throw an iodine tablet or, or a purification tablet in there and let it be sitting while y'all carry on the rest of your hike. Yeah, and that's an important point to make is like look like not everyone needs to have a radio, not everyone needs to have a water pump, not everyone needs to have like a huge tarp. There are some things that are like, you know, there are some things that are two men carry, like a tarp. One of the one of one pair, one buddy pair only needs one tarp because it can cover both of them. Yeah. They're like like both guys have a poncho, but one tarp between them. Yeah. So that you're not burdening one guy with like you're not burdening everyone having to carry their own stuff. You know, one guy might be carrying a tarp and then the other guy might carry a pump. And so it's sort of, you know, it might not be super equal, but at least like you're not forcing everyone to take up that exact amount in their ruck. And, you know, as time goes on in a war, you might end up with different equipment. You might end up with equipment you weren't expecting. Exactly. And you realize, like, oh, hey, I need this for an edge, but, like, this doesn't, this doesn't mesh with my current ruck loadout. And, you know, you're not going to leave your filter behind. But, like, if you only need one per four-man team, only one guy needs to be carrying one. Yeah, and, and that, like, that goes with, like, complex <laughs> medical, like, like there's stuff at the base level that everyone has to have. Like if you're talking field stuff, uh, like what we do and talk about the most, uh, everyone needs a rifle. Everyone needs like load bearing equipment, whichever they choose. Uh, everyone needs ammo. Everyone needs like an IFAC, but maybe not everyone has to carry the full medic kit. Like if you've got one dude who is in your group, who's like an ER trauma doc, maybe it's best if he carries the main big medic pack while everyone else humps more water or humps more ammo or if it's, you know, some weird futuristic war where you've got like a mobile EMP thing that throws in your backpack, like maybe one dude carry that. So if you can spread that out, that's something I'll talk about in my last podcast, is if you have a group, you can distribute that weight where, yeah, everyone's got a heavy pack, but not one dude has a 90 pack while everyone else has a 45 pound pack. You can spread that out where everybody's sucking a little bit with a 60 pound rub. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, no, for sure. Like, you, you really don't want to overburden anyone. And, you know, you're going to be going into some conflict like that with wildly different physical capabilities. You know, a dude that's, like, set, like almost seven foot tall, he's probably going to have an easier time rucking because he can cover more ground with stride length. And, like, that's nothing of his fault, you know. But some short dude might not have the same ease of movement. He might want a lighter ruck just so he can kind of keep up. You know, it's, it's little things like that, too. Um, on a separate note, something that I've been talking amongst, you know, like some, you know, like my own circles and just kind of like think mulling about in my head is if you, if you do expect to be in some sort of semi-urban or urban environment and like, you're just going to be operating like that, like from like safe houses and whatnot, if you have all of your equipment set up, start thinking about having extra equipment. It doesn't have to be top of the line stuff unless you can afford it which case go hog wild, but start really thinking about equipment that you can give away and don't, it, don't, don't let it just be equipment. Cause it's easy for me to tell you, like, go buy a Chicom, go buy a flick, make sure it's got a couple mags in it. And you have an extra AR 15 from like Palmetto state or, you know, something you bought it, something you built or an extra Colt you have. And then you just hand that off. Like, remember people need clothes, people need underwear, yeah. people need sock. It wouldn't hurt to have like a couple extra packs of like, black t-shirts in like different sizes if you have like a like go to walmart 
or go online and order like a three pack of like Hanes, like white or black t-shirts and have them, you know, have some of them like XL, have some of them be like medium or something be small. You know, I, I hate to say like extra underwear too. I, I don't think I'd go that far. Yeah. You hope that whoever yeah, should. That's, a, that's a little bit of a personal yeah. thing. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but. But yeah, no, for sure. And, and that's another thing. It, it can be something as simple as hygiene. I mean, you can go to Walmart and spend 20 bucks and get 20 toothbrushes. Well, yeah. it's, you know, four weeks into the apocalypse and, and you come across somebody who, hey, maybe they need to be in the group. Well, they haven't brushed their teeth in four weeks uh, and you give them a toothbrush. You've now won a huge favor with them. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's, it's stuff like that, that that a lot of people that don't. That's, know, that's everybody wants to get everybody wants to get like Alice kit and a Bushmaster AR for everybody and their their family and for loaner stuff but nobody has uh simple supplies that just enhance life like you were just talking about yeah and you know that that that's how you build hearts and minds too think about think about logistics for equipping your own group think about logistics for equipping anyone you might come across that you might not want them you might not want them right next to you but you might want them at arm's length and they might be useful down the line and guess what by faith you can buy favorites like hey look man like you, you might just hear like a, you might hear like a passing complaint, you know, let's say you live somewhere that has like bread lines or something. You might hear like, man, I haven't been able to shave in like a week and you have an extra pack of razors, you know, you might be like, Hey man, um, do you need razors? And you know, you can equip that guy. He's all of a sudden your new friend and who knows, maybe he felt the same way you did about things and he might join your force or he might make his own force. You never know. So yeah, it's or, just, or even it's, like if you're if you're in evasion mode or or something and you've just you've just struck a convoy if everyone if we want to get kinetic with it uh, and and red dawn with it uh, you just struck a convoy and y'all have you know humped through the woods and came across this little township of a thing uh, they're going to be tracking you know like if you have been doing this for for a long time and really pissing off the opposing force like they're going to start sending out trackers like we saw that with uh sog and uh the nba and stuff if you run into a little township and you're like a day ahead of the opposing force because you've got your fancy drone up and you're kind of clocking it all um and you come across a dude who needs a pack of razors and you give him a pack of razors and y'all take off north well if they show up asking where you came from and they you know Mm -hmm. the dude you just gave razors to tells them hey they went east that buys you a little bit of time because they're going to figure out at some point that they've been lied to but that may give you another day to get out and dump all your crap and blend back into the populace. Yeah. And now you're just another guy, not, yeah. you know, a gorilla super soldier just blew up a convoy. Yeah. And, and the, the dumping kit and blending in the populace is something a lot of people don't factor in. I mean, everyone wants to buy a nice kit. Like, like that's something that we do now because we may not have an option in the future. And, and while you can certainly get by with, you know, cheap Alice stuff, it's always nice to have nicer stuff like jungle rigs and everything else. But like I was talking to the dudes at uh, Redbeard tactical and I talk to them all the time. I'm hoping to have them on here. They're, they're kind of weighing whether they want to get on the podcast or not. Uh, but I was talking to them like, Hey, what kind of stuff would you suggest? And they're like cheapest stuff possible uh, dressing in civilian clothes. If you can, that way, if you do, hit them and have to blend in you can just dump your crap you're out as little as possible as far as expenses go and you're blending back into the populace yeah that that kind of builds upon the whole redundancy thing one thing i kind of want to note is if you are if you are like someone who's planning for the worst case scenarios most people own belt and like like i'm not talking like like 
combat belts or anything. I mean, most people own belts like to hold up their pants. They tend to be leather or like other materials, but they tend to adjust to a point to where that fit that person. Molly pouches, you can kind of thread, you know, the backer onto them so that you could loop a belt through there. Now, I'm not saying, oh, like this guy's saying, like, don't go buy a belt. I own a very expensive Velsus jungle belt, so don't like, don't go down that way. But what I'm saying is, if you need to equip a lot of people, or if you want to go on some clandestine sort of like patrol where like you're kind of just going for like a raid or like a strike and you're you're not really trying to carry a lot of gear because you want to blend in afterwards you might only need like five mags and like an aid kit you can easily thread that onto a regular leather belt and like just go do your thing and then just dump the pouches you know oh, for sure and, it, and if your belt's thin enough depending on how it is i would wager that you could take like an alice clip and clip it on there because like the way alice works if no one knows it goes around the outside of the webbing or it goes over the webbing on the inside and just clips down. It doesn't have to even go through a channel or anything. So for like right now on eBay, I buy a bunch of surplus stuff kind of for this reason, uh, because I'm playing with some different stuff. Um, you could get like two of the three mag Alice M16 pouches, a canteen pouch with canteen and stainless canteen cup. Uh, and like some, surplus opac and drop 40 bucks on everything shipped to your house and while it's not super great stuff you could give that to someone if the only thing you have to do is get them from point a to point b on a short a short distance attack a convoy dump all their crap and then and then just blend back in and you're only out 40 bucks for arming someone with with surplus gear yeah and another thing too is if you're running a homestead or something i know a lot of your listeners are probably going to be people that don't live near big towns, might not want to do big strikes, might not want to do any of that, but they might have a family coming to them. And those family, you, you don't know the circumstances those people are coming to you. Even if it's not family, even if it's neighbors or someone that you know, and like you just kind of send that an offer, they might be coming with just the clothes on their back because you don't know how the world is out there. Oh, yeah. So having those extra pouches, you know, you can put them on a security detail and instead of just giving them one gun and forcing them to use their pockets, you can be like, here, look, here's a, you know, here's a flat mag pouch or two spare magazines. And here's a rifle. Like you can pull security for the homestead or you can carry that on a day's work. You might not necessarily need a guy to be like fully kitted out in a chest rig or a battle belt, but he's got three mags on him. And those three mags can help him fight back to the, you know, the main house or the main compound, whatever you want. Yeah, we're fine long enough for, for the people at the compound to get to them. Yeah. So, you know, that's something else to consider. My advice, um, and this is probably going to cause – this might cause a run on the market. Start looking into surplus pouches, like surplus molly pouches. Everyone in the U.S. is standardized on ARs and Canada, I guess. Standardized on ARs. So, yeah. Those flap, some, those, of those, some of those, even the surplus ones, can fit AKs. Like, like you may not be able to fit three AK mags in the AR pouch, but you could fit one or two. So, yeah. I mean, even, if, even if that's your gambit. Uh, as far as examples, ones that I have, and I, I hate doing this because, like you said, it's going to cause it around the market because I buy this stuff all the time, too. Uh, yeah. Is like the the Eagle, it was FCLS? Is that, was that the system for that? Yeah. That's what I was going to yep. bring up. Yeah, those are really good. Uh, you, you, they don't work great with PMAGs. You have to wet them and stretch them, but that's pretty simple. Uh, but they work great with like steel surplus mags, or you can dump shotgun rounds in there, or or whatever you need to because they're a closed mag system. Uh, yeah. Those Alice pouches, uh, and and what's funny is like 
everyone everyone thinks they know everything about gear. Like I thought I knew kind of the the generational gaps of gear. I'm finding stuff on eBay that like I didn't know existed, like woodland camo Molly two mag pouches yeah. that yeah, are not Alice, they're Molly, but it's like the old Molly that threads through with the snap button, and it's just all kinds of wild stuff that I didn't know about. But but all of that you can find it. Now, some of it is collector stuff that's just stupid, like especially like LBT and all that. There's some stuff on there that's just ungodly what people are paying for it. Uh, yeah. But you can find really good stuff and drop, you know, spend spend a week of not getting cheeseburgers and have, you know, 40 or 50 bucks to spend at the end of the work week and rig yourself up with a solid Alice setup that isn't high speed. But I guarantee you it's better than shoving a mag in your pocket and trying to do work. Yeah. You know. A couple of those Eagle Industries pouches, you know, they don't even have to be. You could even just like not care about uniform color. You could just oh, be yeah. like, get the anything black, anything but black, any, any earth tone or camo, just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And remember, those pouches don't need to fit in magazines. You know, you can hand someone a pouch, and it's just like, here you go, man. This is carry water. You can shove a water bottle in there. Yep. That's why exactly. I'm taking like, the flapped magazine pouches because you can put smaller stuff than the mags in there, and it'll yep. keep it. Here, so it's just something to consider. Yeah, but yeah, I've, like, I've pretty well transitioned to uh, to flat mag pouches uh, on all of all of my fighting line stuff. I've got a I've got a gun belt that's set up with like S stack pouches and stuff that uh, I don't even know if I'm going to end up keeping it just because I it doesn't fit really in the role of stuff that I I want anymore. But no. uh, but flat mag pouches, I mean, being universal without being stupid is a good idea because some of those pouches it's like oh it's a universal mag pouch it's designed to literally fit every mag known to man and it's just this giant like empty sack of sadness with a flap on it uh like those are kind of a no-go but like even something as simple as like the uh the eagle saw pouch i got one of those that when i first started out i grabbed one of the eagle chest rigs and one of those saw pouches and like a tactical tailor mbg pouch i think i spent 65 bucks for everything on ebay type thing but you can fit the IFAC inserts in them. You can fit six AR mags in them. You could fit binoculars in them. You could f- use it for a sustainment pouch and throw, you know, foods and snackies and water bottles and stuff in them. And like you said, you can you can run that Molly in a way where it's like a one and a half or 1.75 inch belt loop, basically, and thread it on your pants belt. And if you just need to forage in the woods for mushrooms or whatever, uh, because it's it's your day to go forage the woods for the homestead, you can use that for a little dump pouch. Yeah, and, you know, it's just it, it's that sort of logistical stuff where like you, you can kind of flex things into multiple roles. That's kind of important, you know. And it, don't forget, there's a lot of other stuff the world needs be, be, besides fighting gear. You know, you need tools. You know, dudes don't think about it, but guess what? You want to build a trench, you're going to need real shovels. You're not yep. going to build them very quickly with an ETO. You're going to need a matic pick. You need shovels. You're going to need breaker bars. Yeah, e tools are for digging in for a PB or like a hasty trench or something like that. If you're building like true fighting positions, ain't nobody doing it with an e tool. They're they're doing it with a shovel and a pick and sandbags. Yeah, because I don't know if anyone's ever used an e tool with a little trifle. It's actually I, I got one. Uh, they work great. I've broken them. Yeah, I must have broken one or two, but uh, they work great until they break. But um, they are just not mechanically advantageous. They are designed to be small enough that if you need it to dig a, a hasty hole, you can, uh, or, or a hot side or something like that, but they're not advantageous. No one builds a, uh, a sure enough, like fighting, you know, forward observation base with an e-tool. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, 
I, I think that kind of covers it. I have a feeling we're probably going to have to have another uh, another podcast in the future. I might cover oh, the more. Sure. I don't know. But yeah. it's just kind of. I think it'd be pretty cool. I want to have you again, man. I think it's went good. Uh, real quick, any any tips as far as like tactics or TTPs or anything like that that people can be working on as far as as far as small scale groups like five, six, seven man groups or anything like that that they could. Every, they everyone, everyone needs to work on immediate action. What for anything? Literally, like I see a drone. This is these are the steps I'm going to take. We see Claire, con- Claire goes up, what do you do? Do you see a drone? What do you do? Uh, take contact, what do you do? All those immediate action drills. They need to be like instinctual. Whatever size group you have, even if it's just you and a homie, you need to see it. Yeah, everyone needs to start thinking like a criminal and just rob the bank. You need to have like, you need to have a plan for anything. If the police block the road up ahead, you got to know where the next road is down the line that you can get past. If, yep. uh, you know, you if you see, you know, if you take direct contact from a sniper, you need to have a plan. If you take... You know, if you see a patrol and you're not sure if they're your guys or not, you need to have a plan to, to like make contact, like either like verbal or like have like a brevity code or something to yell a challenge and pass. Or you know, you need to you need to have a hand sign that tells you guys, hey, get online because we're about to hit these dudes. You know, you need to have those work on those immediate action drills. Work on your personal field craft. Work on your survival stuff because the better you are with survival, the less you need to carry or the less you need to rely on. Exactly. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's the simple stuff that you can even work on in your yard. Uh, yeah. You don't, you don't have to go out necessarily in the woods, but if you can get five or six guys together in a fenced in backyard, uh, you can work that stuff. You don't even necessarily have to yell out. Like you need to be mindful of the fact that like people are around you. And if you start yelling contact or something in your backyard in all your suburban neighborhood, people are going to get a little uh, curious, but, yeah. but you, you can understand, okay, here's the situation. We take fire. What do we do? Uh, we see a drone. What do we do? And uh, you can do that. You can talk through that and sort of act it out. Go to like a big city park, bring some cones with you. Everyone's in workout clothes. Don't bring any gear or anything. Just, you know. Yeah. Make it look like a workout. Yeah. Make it look like a workout. But hey, have like a, have like a code word that you'll say and to, to any passerby. It'll just look like, yeah. oh, yeah, they're just, uh, you know, they're just doing like a, a workout circuit. But really what you guys are doing is you're practicing three to five second rushes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I hadn't really considered that. That's, that's an excellent I get messaged a ton like, hey, I don't have anywhere I can train. I don't have anywhere I can do this. It's like, look, dude, I, I don't I don't want to say you can't train like to any degree. That's not true. But you just got to be a little more careful and you can do it out in plain sight. Like unless someone's a trained observer, they're not going to be seeing, you know, nothing's going on right now. So you can kind of get away with that. So you can be out at the park with one or two of your homies. And you can just practice immediate action drills and then huddle together and be like, and be like look, you know, we bounded up and down this place. We low crawled, we high crawled. Is anyone looking? It just looks like a military-themed workout. Yeah, because those are actually just so stupidly prevalent anymore. Uh, everybody's doing some sort of Special Forces Murphy workout these days. So, so, so uh, don't, don't, don't think just because you don't have a wooded area that you can kind of camp out at that you can't train. You know, exactly. because, and that's the thing, like, immediate action drills aren't necessarily for, like, field. Every, everyone says field, and it's easy for, like, people like me who don't necessarily live in a city to, to lose sight of that. Immediate action drills are across the board. It doesn't matter if you're uh, in an urban set, setting or, like, in the field. Now, there might be nuances to those, like, as far as the cover you would take or, like, hey, we don't need to, like, spread out along the alleyway that we just took rounds from type of thing. But that can be used for across the board. It doesn't matter where you're at. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, um, I think one of these days when I come back on, I think I would just want to have an entire talk on ambushes because to me, uh, that's kind of like that's bread and butter. That's bread and butter. That's bread and butter for me. That's kind of what I enjoy the most to talk about. Um, I don't talk about it too much because it's kind of sort of like controversial to talk about as a civilian. It's it's not. It's not great to put it out there in a a image that can be looked at. Uh, A voice thing is, is a little bit different. That's one of the things I really want to start the podcast. Is a lot easier and typically a little bit safer to put it in voice as opposed to put it in text and picture that's going to be stuck on the web. Yeah. And you know, like you, exactly. I couldn't have said better. So yeah, I think it's, important. I want to kind of cover like, do like a primer on ambushes and like, you know, assaulting a trip. Yeah. You know, man, I, def- I definitely think we need to get that going. Talk about them. Yeah, Cause I, I think, think we need to get that going. You know, I don't know where things are going. You know, wherever anyone's listening or where you're at or where I'm at. But like a very you know, you never know. That's all yeah. you never know. You never so, know if it's uh you and your buddies defending your neighborhood against the uh, the vaccine police. Yeah, or you know, the looters because all the supply trains are messed up because everyone got fired from their jobs. Exactly. Turning the crime and guess what? You're the neighborhood watch, so you need to know how to react to contact because guess what? They're they're coming to steal your things. They're coming for yeah. you. Yeah, it's not it's not just for me, it's for the whole neighborhood. Guess what? Everybody yeah. needs to buck up and chip in. Yeah. So you uh, know. okay. So real quick before we close out, because this has been going for like an hour and ten minutes or twenty minutes now. <laughs> Much longer than any of the other podcasts so far. Um any reading material or anything like that that people can pick up pretty easily as far as uh not necessarily just, you know, like TTP manuals, but any books or anything if they were worried or wondering about like the history of real warfare, anything that you could suggest. If you live around buildings, if you which is everyone listening to this, unless you know someone's listening to this from a tent and they live there, there is a book, and I forget the name of the author, but if you look it up, you'll find it. It's called The Burglar's Guide to the City. That is one of my favorite books. I love recommending it. The premise is just, it's a book on how different criminals, or burglars, you know, thieves, bank robbers, have pretty much subverted traditional notions of architecture and have committed heists or thefts or whatever. Like, you know, dudes crawling inside walls, dudes tunneling in from the ground, you know. And it's, it, I haven't read it in a while, but it, I remember when I first read it, it really gets you thinking like, like, like walls and windows are self-imposed wall, like self-imposed barriers, but they're defeatable. That's kind of something you always want to think about. Like, uh, you know, if I had to bring up an example, if you're in a building that has a fire and uh, you're trying to get out and you go back to the last room that doesn't have any fire in it, but it's adjacent to your like neighbor's house and you have no other way to get out. Guess what, man? You can break through that wall. It's just drywall. And guess what? You sneak out your neighbor, you sneak out into your neighbor's house, and it might not be fire there, and you can get out and call for help or do whatever. You know, it, it, it's that line of thinking. It's you got to understand that buildings are walls and doors and windows or, and rooftops and ceilings are suggestions. So that's kind of why I like that book. It kind of puts you. That's in- awesome. I had actually never heard of that. I, I'm pretty book savvy um, as far as just like my bookshelf and Kindle and everything, and I, I kind of have my fingers in a ton of different things. I had never heard of that book, so that's awesome. It's not a book you'll ever hear anyone talk about. It's not even like, it's not a controversial book. It's just more like case studies of like different. Yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's not sexy. 
No, well, it, it is because it's charming. It's like, wow, like, I can't believe they did it like that. Like, I think one of the things was there was an L.A., like, bank heist where they took dirt bikes under the bank and drilled through the bottom, took the money, and then took dirt bikes out, and they never ca- caught the guys. It's something like that. Like, you're like, wow, I never would have thought of that, but they did it. That's awesome. Like I said, um, my advice to a lot of people is start thinking like a criminal because you're about yep. to be one. Yep. Yep. Soon to be entering the world of outlaws. Which is, you know, cool, I guess. I guess we get to bust yeah, up the I mean, cool, cool, but not cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It all has to start somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the the colonial militias and stuff, they were they were deemed outlaws. So that's one way to think about it. Yes, sir. All right. All right, man. Well, this is this has been great. I look forward to having you on again. Uh, to anyone listening uh, that didn't catch it, that was Operator, uh, O-P-F-O-R-8-R. You're on Instagram, right? Um, so they can take you up on there. Tons of good content yeah. on that. Message uh, me for questions. I try to answer them as best as I can. Yeah, dude's super helpful. Like, I've been talking to him long before any of this. So uh, he, he's definitely helped me out a ton as far as suggestions and, and mindset thoughts. Uh, other good podcasts to listen to are uh, Marauder uh, at Camp of the Beyond and uh, any of the Longhouse podcasts, uh, Pine, uh, Conifer's Origins, however he wants to be uh, labeled. He does a ton of good stuff. Uh, I, I look forward to uh, future stuff with him as well. I've been on that one too. If you, yeah, you know, that's you, actually the yeah, very yeah. first podcast I listened to at the Longhouse was the one that you were on because I didn't think anyone else out there in this world thought the same way I did as far as field stuff. I thought everybody wanted to be, uh, you know, three mag CQB high-speed operators the whole time. So that was that was pretty funny. You were actually the first podcast that I listened to was the one that you were on with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll hopefully do more. All right, man. Thanks for yeah, having man. me. It's been great. Take it easy. I hope you uh, have a good rest of your weekend. You too, man. All right. Thanks. Stay safe.